Welcome to the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Nevertheless, She Existed. This is the podcast about the women of history who are underappreciated, overlooked, or sometimes completely forgotten about. The stories you'll hear on this podcast are recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter and a little drunker on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. On each episode, we invite kick-ass storytellers, comedians, activists, and academics, you name it, to school us on one lady from history who you should know about. Why don't you know about them? It's a conspiracy. In a room somewhere, there's a bunch of bearded jamokes sniffing white out and then using it to erase women from the history books. I know that's not what really happened. Mm -hmm. It was the thousands of years of patriarchal oppression, which is less fun. Slightly less fun. My name is Molly Gaby, and I'm actually old enough to have used whiteouts. Me so. too. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. My name is Kylie, and I am so excited that we are covering one of my favorite all-time topics, horse. You know them. You love them. You feed oats to them. They gallop right into our hearts. So let's go over some of my favorite horse. Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. Kylie. Yeah? Stop it. Kylie, we're talking about... <laughs> Whores, uh, <laughs> sluts, she devils, badass sex workers from history. That makes way more sense. Oh no. <laughs> I don't think you did the correct preparation now. On the series, we are celebrating the sex workers from history. That's right. The world's oldest profession. Getting a saddle put on you and okay. then riding in a field. Okay, that is a horse. <laughs> This is going to be a long one. <laughs> and I also feel like, you know, we always call it the world's oldest profession, but I feel like some hunter-gatherer heads are like, ah, oh, hello, this is Erasure. We were there first. So, you know, we recognize you. Great. We're going to kick off this series with a sampling of the history of sex workers in the ancient world. Some old school hors d'oeuvres, if you will. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. Let's start at the beginning. The Big Bang happens. Young Sheldon, then prostitution. That's the order. Pretty much the universe came alive, humans happened, one person said to another, wow, that rock of yours is cool. I want that, but how do I get it? And bam, sex work is born. Nice. Basically, as long as humans have wanted things, power, meat, blanket. What's a meat blanket? What is a meat blanket? What do you think it is, Molly? It's got to be a vagina, right? All right. Uh, someone has exchanged sex work for it. So it's so simple. It's genius. These days, sex work industry is highly stigmatized and even seen as a moral abomination. But it wasn't always like that. So right now, we want to take you back to ancient Mesopotamia so I can introduce you to a literal goddess and Kylie's bestie. My best friend. <laughs> Ishtar. Ishtar was the goddess of a lot of things, from grain to rain, from war to horror. This bitch covers it all, seriously. Uh, she's mostly associated with sexual love and divine prostitution. She's the goddess of fertility, but not in like a, you know, mom jeans bowl cut kind of way. Uh, she's the goddess of baby making, but not the babies. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> she's never associated as a maternal figure, only as like a sexy, impulsive, vengeful, like Naomi Campbell kind of way. Like she scares you, she throws her phone at you, but it's all good because she's super hot. Like Naomi Campbell, Ishtar was a huge fucking deal in Sumerian culture. <laughs> Honestly, I loved her look at Kish Fashion Week. And if you were a king... What is Kish? It's a... Kish is a city in ancient Sumeria. God, We all know it. this. We we're all knew this. We're learning together. And if you were a king, you needed Ishtar's blessing. So how did you get that? You went to her temple. You asked if her high priestess had, you know, spare hour, 20 minutes. And if she did, you had sex with her. If she gave you her approval, aka if you gave her an orgasm or two, you became king with Ishtar's blessing, aka a real legitimate king. 
This practice was called sacred prostitution. So think prostitution wasn't just cool. That shit was sacred. Hell yes. Historian Gerda Lerner actually doesn't call this sacred prostitution. She calls it cultish sexual service. To differentiate it from sex work as we know it today, sacred prostitution might not fit in with our modern understanding of sex work because we don't know that much about it. We don't have a lot of writing from that time about the specific mechanics of culture sexual service or what these rituals actually looked like once the worshiper and the priestess got down to business. Some historians argue that sacred prostitution was largely symbolic, while others think sex acts were performed as part of these ancient religions. I love the idea of a room full of scholars just screaming, they boned and we know it, <laughs> at the top of their little academic lungs. The point is, it's up for debate a little bit, so let's focus on what we do know. Okay, so first off, around 2300 BC in Akkad, there was a temple dedicated to the goddess Baal, the goddess of healing and, of course, dogs. Very similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the priestesses there did practice sacred prostitution as a form of prayer. The queen who ran the temple, I shit you not, was named Queen Shagshag of Lagash. You're welcome! <laughs> I like to imagine that she had like a Midwestern accent. She's like, yeah, my name's Queen Shag Shag of Lagash, and I ran a temple just out the Fargo. <laughs> Shag Shag of Lagash. <laughs> we, call it sh- we call it pop here in a cad. <laughs> we know from her story that these sex workers were high status enough to be hanging out with a queen. After Sumer and Akkad go downhill, the kingdom of Babylon shows up and doubles down on the whole sex workers are people thing. Very cool. Nice. And they had several classes of ladies. They had the Harimtu, Samhatu, and Kezertu, bless you, who were priestesses or worshippers of female goddesses. These women were prostitutes who could also choose sex work outside of their priestessly duties, aka I want that sweet amber necklace that I can wear while gazing out of my penthouse apartment at the Garden of Babylon, so yes, I shall let you have sex with me. And that apartment was hers. These women were allowed to own property. Yes, ladies, you get that mortgage and you pay it off with a golden hand job. Good for you. Good for you. Um, a golden hand job is, of course, just slightly better than a silver hand job. Yeah, not as good as the platinum. Platinum, that's, uh, that's just a blowjob. That's a blowjob, great. <laughs> uh, and they didn't stop at golden hand jobs, okay? They were also women who supported other women. We love this. They helped out during childbirth and wet nursing. When the midwife tended to the physical needs of the woman in childbirth, they presided over the spiritual and emotional requirements of the birthing, a.k.a. these ladies were the OG doulas. Aww. I love that. Their knowledge of the female body was valued and their expertise was seen as sacred, which it fucking is. Love you, doulas. So why haven't we heard about these ladies before? We should be talking about them all the time. There should be a line of expensive soaps, lotions, lingerie named after Ishtar and her priestesses. There was a pretty good beer named after her, but we deserve more. Okay, this is capitalism. What are we waiting for, people? You make it, we'll buy it. Does it really even exist if you can't put it on a cereal box? (laughs) For real. And I'm sorry, if if Dan Marino gets a steakhouse, Ishtar deserves at least like a line of lip balms or something, okay? <laughs> Dan Marino, of course, famous quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. We- I knew I would get that in. A- I knew we are actually not sponsored by Dan Marino's Steakhouse, weirdly. <laughs> but we could be. <laughs> The tricky thing about studying old school sex workers is that for a thousand years or so, we only had bullshit information about them because men can be perved. Back that up. Prove it. Got it. I'm on it. Um, I can use one man to prove it, and his name is Greek historian Herodotus. He visited Babylon, and he wrote some smut he called history. 
He described a ritual where every virgin had to attend the temple of Ishtar and agree to have sex with any male that asked her. And once she performed this ritual, the male visitor gave her money to donate to the temple. Okay, and I don't know about you, but if I was the one doing the fucking, I'm going to pocket some of that temple money, okay? (laughs) One for me, one for the temple, two for me, none for the temple. Molly. Whatever, okay? I'm sorry, I don't see the temple sucking off Sargon of Akkad, okay? If I'm doing all the work here, why should the temple get that bolt of silk? <laughs> right? Me. Equal work for equal pay. Great. So for <laughs> anyone listening who thinks that the story of all those sweet young virgins giving themselves to big, strong men to make the sexy priestess happy sounds made up, uh, you're right. Uh, Herodotus was sort of like the Fox News of ancient historians. He basically took the truth that priestesses had sex as part of their devotional practice and turned that into his weird smut fantasy. His history was taken as fact for a long, long time, but now modern scholars have looked at his writings and collectively flushed those fake facts down the scholastic toilet. PSA here, please, you gotta stop flushing facts down the toilet. It clogs the drain. It's impossible to get a plumber out of here. Okay, <laughs> really it's old a mess. pipes. <laughs> yeah, just wrap them in toilet paper and place them in the receptacle. No thanks to Herodotus, we do know that these sex workers enjoyed a pretty high status in ancient Mesopotamian society. So speaking of high society sex workers, we got to move forward in history and give big ups to those old poon hounds, the ancient Greeks. Yeah, ancient Greeks. They loved it. They did. Freaks. (laughs) Thanks to them, we have the word pornography. It comes from the word porni, the ancient Greek word for prostitute, which is actually just one name for prostitute. The Greeks were so into sex workers, they had four different names for them. I don't think I like anything enough to have four names for it, except for like cheese, you know? Four names. Cheesy Wheezy, Yellow Yum Yum, Gouda, and Can't Eat It on a Date. Kylie, we talked about this. You gotta stop with the cheese, but the names are very cute. But I love Brie. (laughs) The four types of sex workers were Hetaira, Fancy courtesans, upper porni, lower porni, and men. You know, I pulled a porni once during yoga. Down dog, not easy on the porni. You've got to take it easy. A lot you of never dad listen jokes. to anything I say. No cheese and take it easy. Um, <laughs> take it well, cheesy. More. Oh my god, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> um, we'll hear more about badass hetaira. Uh, Sorry, hetaira. Yeah, yeah. We'll hear more about Badass Hetaira later on, but we'll leave you with one final story that I love about the porni. They could work in brothels or on the street, where I'm pretty sure that they invented modern millennial marketing tactics. Listen to this. These sex workers wore shoes that said, follow me in the footprints. Mm. And I'm sure once they were off the clock, they put on their fuck off flats. (laughs) You got to carry flats, ladies. It's very important if you have things to say. Um, for example, I have shoes that say, I already donated to Pete Buttigieg. Please don't ask me again. <laughs> Mine just say, fuck off, Bloomberg. So what the hell happened? How did we get from prostitutes being independent, high-status women to the stigmatized group they are in modern times? Over the course of this series, we're going to work our way through that really messy timeline. But let's kick it off with a story from the glory days of a badass whore. Uh, not a horse. <laughs> of ancient Greece, right after this break. Hello, everyone. Nevertheless, She Existed is now published on Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. There's a few reasons it's great. Here's number one. It's free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record, edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer, editing podcasts on the subway, 
doesn't get more Brooklyn than that. Or if you have a kick-ass producer like our tech lady Paula, you can, of course, upload your edited audio directly. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, all your favorite, wherever you get your podcasts. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Saddle up, folks. Kylie! A horror. This is the story of Phryne told by Caitlin Bailey. Keep it going for Molly. Yes. What a badass. Hello, my name is Caitlin, uh, and I host a podcast where every episode we tell a different story from an old pro from history. Do we have any old pro fans in the house? Six? Great. That's cool. Thanks for coming. A uh, couple of things we should go over right up top. Uh, I've had sex for money. It's fine. I'm fine. Uh, you need to be fine with it. Are we in agreement? No? Any objections? Great. Uh, I am in a relationship, which is awkward because um, it's impossible not to do the math. Do you guys need to do the math on that one? Is that? Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, I, on the one hand, I'm having such a good time. And on the other hand, he's getting such a good deal. So we'll figure it out. But I am um, and have been for a long time obsessed with old pros. I'm obsessed with people that have sex for money. I'm obsessed with the stories that we tell about them and their stories and what it all means. And one of my favorite uh, old sex workers from history is this badass bitch named Phryne who lived at the height of the Greek Empire. She was born around 370 BC, which is like, for you history nerds out there, it's like 100 years after the Greeks like consolidate their empire and defeat the Persians, and like 100 years before the Romans take over, right? So this, she is a contemporary of Socrates. She is hanging out with the most famous artists of her time. She was born to a caper farming family in uh, Thesbia, Right? Um, and for those of you that don't know, caper farming, uh, no one wants to do that. That's like, <laughs> it's real bad. It's hard and it doesn't make a lot of money, which is a terrible combination of things. Um, right, but sure, in our family, they moved to Athens. And by all accounts, Phryne, um, who was born um, with an unpronounceable name, so we're gonna call her, we're gonna call her Phryne, which means toad in ancient Greece. That was like her nickname, which I'm assured by scholars was a compliment, and we're just gonna have to, I don't know, maybe toads were different, like in the ancient world, I don't know what the deal was, but she was named Toad uh, Phryne, and, and it was fine. But her and her family, they moved to Athens, and Phryne is just one of these like upsettingly beautiful people, right? Like we all live in New York, right, which is like a city of beautiful people, and like once a quarter, you see someone, and you're like, that's not a, a human person, <laughs> right? That's like an airbrushed person, that's not, Am I being tricked somehow, <laughs> right? So Phryne was just this upsettingly gorgeous woman who quickly, uh, after moving to Athens, becomes one of the reigning courtesans in the ancient Greek world. So this is the height of Greeks' power as an empire, and she reaches the height of her profession and is, becomes one of the freest women on earth, right? Because like Athenian wives at the time, like even if they were married to senators and stuff, were like not allowed to leave the house much. Like that's not, that's one of the tricks of patriarchy, right? It's literally impossible to have a patriarchy if you don't know who the dads are. That's a, just a fact. <laughs> so 
right? Like when we switched over from matriarchies to patriarchies, we had to put a lockdown um, on some of the pussy. That was like <laughs> part of the whole deal, right? So Phryne, uh, Phryne is I I in Athens. Um, she becomes uh, a renowned courtesan um, and develops a reputation, just for an idea of like how powerful she was. Because I feel like I say courtesan and you're like, oh, cool, somebody that could afford like a nice purse. No. Alexander the Great tears down the wall of Thebes and Phryne offers to rebuild it on the condition that it says, torn down by Alexander the Great, rebuilt by the whore Phryne. <laughs> right, yeah, she wanted to put her name on some shit, right? And Thebes was like, no, that's cool, we'll just raise taxes, it's fine, we got this. <laughs> Keep your shit, right? She did develop a reputation for being a bit of a cunt though, uh, which, I think is how she got herself killed. She would change her prices based on how she felt about you. Um, which, right, like, I get it. <laughs> but she apparently raised her prices so high uh, that like this king that was like a notorious dickhead uh, had to raise taxes in like his little city state. Uh, and he said to her at like a party hoping to embarrass her of like, I am shamed that you are charging so much. And she said, uh, if I took a cent less, it would be me who would be shamed, sir. <laughs> Which like, speaking as an old pro myself is like a real weird way to start an appointment, you know? That's why you wanna outsource the money talk to somebody else so that that doesn't happen. But anyway, uh, she was also a little bit of a bitch uh, to her girlfriends. She used to throw these amazing uh, courtesan-only parties at her house where she would invite like all of the other like badass bitches in the neighborhood to come over and they would get shit hammered and play party games. But like one of her favorite party games was that everyone would take off their makeup and she'd be the only pretty one left. That's not fun, right? That's a real dick move. Well, whatever. One of the things that she would do and one of the things that, that courtesans participated in, um, she was one of the last holdouts of like female power uh, in ancient Athens because the, uh, the great temple of Aphrodite, who is still a powerful goddess, right? The goddess of love, a cheap knockoff from the badass bitch Ishtar that we learned about earlier, right? <laughs> right, cool. Uh, they would hire uh, famous well-known courtesans like Phryne to embody the goddess for their semi-annual thing where she would dive into the Aegean Sea, uh, reenacting the birth of Aphrodite and emerge covered in sea foam. And all of the citizens of Athens would be like, this is why we pay taxes. <laughs> Not so that one dude can have sex with her one time. That feels like a misappropriation of funds. <laughs> should have a system for that. <laughs> so she, uh, she became very powerful, which um, I don't know if you guys have been reading the news recently, but powerful women make dudes real nervous. Uh, dudes get real nervous. So she was charged with blasphemy, which is a capital crime. They were trying to kill this bitch for being too good at the job they hired her to do. <laughs> I feel like you guys aren't following me. <laughs> right? They hired her to be Aphrodite. And then she was Aphrodite. And then they were like, too close to Aphrodite, that is witchcraft. <laughs> and what happened next, I think, is a moment about what could have been 
for women in the history of the world because like all of her friends, even though she was real bitchy to them, <laughs> get together and they're like, look, if they can take Phryne out, all of us are vulnerable, we need makeup. <laughs> and they pulled their resources together, created one of the first corporations in the world, and they hired one of the most famous orators uh, of the time, who was also a well-known client, uh, and they defended her, or, well, he defended her, it, it doesn't matter. She defended herself uh, by stripping naked in front of the all-male jury and declaring her body a gift from the gods and <laughs> daring them to smite the goddess Aphrodite by saying otherwise. And she won. She fucking won. This is a story about a bitch we didn't kill. Do you know how rare that is? In the history of the liberation of women, she stood naked before an all-male jury and said, my tits are too perfect. If you kill me, Aphrodite will fuck with your dick or something. Like, I don't know what the punishment was. And it's, it's a moment in time where we could, we could have recognized female beauty and sexuality as a, as a gift, as a pass, as, as something to celebrate instead of something to condemn. Uh, but instead, uh, we outlawed the naked defense and skipped almost immediately to burning witches. Uh, thank you. My name's Caitlin Bailey. <laughs> That was Caitlin Bailey, host of the Oldest Profession podcast and director of communications for decriminalized sex work. You can follow her at Caitlin Bailey. Oh, man. I'm going to start using that Phryne defense for everything. You think I took the last of the oat milk? Would this body take the last of your oat milk? And then I'll strip. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to buy some robes. <laughs> I think that'll work. <laughs> I really love what she said about Phryne's story being an example of what could have been for women. Like, what would have happened if we held on to that power for the next thousand years? I also like to think about what would happen if we defended each other like that today, if we stuck up for other ladies, even if we don't particularly like them. Nope. Oh, God. Here's the part of the podcast where uh, Kylie sticks up for Megan McCain again. Absolutely not. Step too far. <laughs> but maybe we don't roast Anne Hathaway every time she leaves her fucking house. <laughs> There's truly no limit to what ladies can do when they lift each other up and celebrate one another or contribute a bunch of money to a defense fund. Yeah. On that note, we are going to end on a story of women competing against one another. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Just wait, though. Okay, so about 350 years after Phryne, there was a courtesan named Messalina thriving in Rome. Honestly, thriving. She married the emperor, some dude named Claudius, and was the most powerful woman in the empire. History remembers her as being like this conniving, devious, and evil woman, but she honestly seems like she's really fun to party with. So according to our sweet ancient Roman friend, Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Tiny! We love! We love him! She once challenged the most famous prostitute in Rome to a competition of who could bone the most dudes in one night. Our girl Messaline supposedly won with 25 and that is stamina! I'm exhausted <laughs> just thinking about doing that in the days before Gatorade. Oh no. Do you do you have like some Gatorade? Before, when you have sex, do you like stock up? Just chug Gatorade? <laughs> <laughs> before during after oh my god but honestly <laughs> this story doesn't seem that crazy to me it just seems like me in college oh <laughs> i'm i mean i was very competitive and very open 
And I'm just, yeah. I'm like, I'm, that's Selena. I see you. I feel seen too. Good for you, Molly. <laughs> the story about Messaline is probably not true, but it is another example of male historians taking the story of a sex worker from history, writing some pervy smut, and then having that smut get codified as fact centuries later. I do think we need to level the playing field a little bit when it comes to spreading mythical smut about men. Mythical smut is now our new band name. Boop. In honor of that, we invite our listeners to write in with some sick, nasty smut about Mitch McConnell. Send it to our Twitter feed. Not a fan fiction, if you will. Um, I heard that Mitch McConnell and Jim Jordan went to a Build-A-Bear workshop. Molly. After hours, don't worry, there's no one in there. And they took turns jerking off in the stuffing box and they still giggle about it today okay i have so many questions what's the stuffing box how did they get in that's not a misadventure that is a crime great these are all questions about a thing that happened that I really also, happened <laughs> i've never been to a build a bear workshop but there's got to be like a big old stuffing box that you can just like get lost in right <laughs> right or jerk off in great we're gonna end this episode with that call to action go ahead and write some mitch mcconnell or any garbage male politician fanfic tweet it at us and we'll let history do the rest mm-hmm. my fanfic is going to be about how much orin hatch loves horse no i hope you're enjoying your retirement buddy kylie <sighs> Hey, y'all. If you love this show and want to support us, please tell your friends. The more people who listen, the more we get to do this. And if you're near New York City at all, bring them to our live show. Nevertheless, She Existed is a production of Caveat Media. It's produced by me, Kylie Holloway, and edited by Paula Pickering. Our executive producers are Kate Downey and Ben Lilly. Head to caveat.nyc for live shows and coming soon, more podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button and rate and review. Subscribe!